Section 6 of Camden's Compliment to Walt Whitman by Various. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. By Wire, then Postscript. Reprint of Circular Announcing the Celebration. Whitman Testimonial. Walt Whitman is rapidly nearing his seventieth year. To properly commemorate the occasion on the arrival of his threescore and ten natal day, citizens of Camden have inaugurated a local demonstration which, to make it all the more imposing and fitting as a representative gathering of the friends and disciples of the poet, will include those at a distance who may wish to participate. The committee is already assured that a number of prominent literary characters will be present and join in the ovation in sentiments predicated upon Whitman's personality and productions. In order that the program may be prepared, it is essential that early responses to invitations shall be received by the committee, which has fixed the price of tickets at $5, and provides for no complimentaries as, in addition to the public entertainment, it is intended that a substantial benefit shall accrue to the recipient. The dinner will be given at Morgan's Hall, Camden, a large and commodious room, on Friday, May 31st. The hour of five o'clock in the afternoon has been fixed in order to assure the personal presence of the poet. The tickets have been limited to two hundred. Application should be made at once to the committee. H. L. Bonsall, T. B. Harned, Committee. By Wire Henry Irving, London, England, June 2, 1889. To Walt Whitman, let me add to the many my respectful and sincere greetings. Robert G. Ingersoll, New York, May 31, 1889 am confined to my house by illness, and regret that I can't be with you today. Give my more than regards to Walt Whitman, who has won such a splendid victory over the granitic pudding-heads of the world. He is a genuine continental American. Thomas Jefferson Whitman, St. Louis, May 31, 1889 To Walt Whitman, congratulations on reaching the seventy-notch. Hope you will complete another score. Mrs. A. H. Spaulding, Boston, Massachusetts, May 31st, 1889. To Walt Whitman, your many friends give thanks for your brave and generous seventy years. Mrs. Fanny Taylor, St. Louis, May 31st, 1889. To Walt Whitman, many congratulations upon reaching your threescore and ten. Felix Adler, New York, May 31st, 1889. To the author of Calamus, loving greeting today from a younger comrade. T. B. Aldrich, Boston, May 31st, 1889. Heartiest congratulations to Walt Whitman from his old friend and comrade. J. H. Gilman, Rochester, New York, May 27, 1889. Sorry that I cannot be present to add my tribute to one whom I regard as in some respects the greatest 
of American Poets. H. Buxton Foreman, London, England, July twentieth, eighteen eighty nine. For Whitman, so long as there is life, there must be happiness. The knowledge of what he has done for the human race, coupled with his indomitable courage and endurance, must make him ever superior to the chances of broken health and fortunes. At your bidding I will say a word of what I think, though it be but a repetition of what I have said before. I think, then, that for the poet, whose seventieth birthday was celebrated on the thirty-first of May, the word poet needs enlargement, so as to include somewhat of the meaning of the word prophet. Whitman, of all living men, deserves best to be called the prophet of the world's hope, for of all he is the most absolute in his optimism, the most unwavering in his faith in the ultimate perfection of the great scheme of nature. To me he seems to be more at one with the external universe, less disturbed about the profound questions which the soul strives to answer, than any man whose record is before us. And whatever else leaves of grass may be, I have long held it to be the most original book which the world has yet produced, and the book which, of all current literature, contains the greatest number of messages to mankind which mankind will have to consider whether they be found convenient and palatable or inconvenient and unpalatable. Daniel G. Brinton, Geneva, Switzerland, July 17, 1889. It gave me a special pleasure to learn that our national poet's 70th birthday had been celebrated in so successful a manner and that he himself is feeling at least no worse in health than when I left, and is, as ever, and as he must ever be, so firm and so serene in soul. When I was at Parma, I saw a picture by Murillo, one of the greatest of that greatest of masters, representing Job in his direst affliction, lone, naked, deserted, his potsherd in his hand, but looking up to heaven with an utter faith that I have seen in no other painting, and that, as I told, blank, I could parallel in nothing else than in those lines of Whitman's on Columbus. For that, O God, be it my latest word, here on my knees, old, poor, and paralyzed, I thank thee. I am certain that in these noble words the poet has expressed the calmness in affliction which is his own. And though I cannot share in the faith which it breathes, I honor and admire any disposition of mind which lifts the man above his fate. John Addington Simmons, Davos, Switzerland, September 3rd, 1889. I find it extremely difficult to write anything about Walt Whitman, not because I have little, but because I have far too much to say. Leaves of Grass, which I first read at the age of twenty-five, influenced me more, perhaps, than any other book has done except the Bible. More than Plato, more than Goethe. 
it is impossible for me to speak critically of what has so deeply entered into the fiber and marrow of my being. Walt Whitman helped me to understand the harmony between democracy, science, and that larger religion to which the modern world is being led by the conception of human brotherhood and by the spirituality inherent in any really scientific view of the universe. He gave body and concrete vitality to the religious creed which I had previously been forming upon the study of Goethe, the Greek and Roman Stoics, Giordano Bruno, and the founders of the evolution hypothesis. He brought me to an attempt to free myself from many conceits and pettinesses to which academic culture is subject. He opened my eyes to the beauty, goodness, and greatness which may be found in all worthy human beings, the humblest and the highest. He made me try to strip myself of social prejudices. Through him I have fraternized in comradeship with men of all classes and several races, irrespective of their caste, creed, occupation, and special training. Though my energy as a writer has been mainly devoted to those critical studies for which my education prepared me, my life as a man has been sweetened, brightened, and intensified by the good gray poet's invigorating and ennobling influence. Before long, I hope to publish a collection of speculative and philosophical essays in which the debt I owe him and the benefits I have received from him will be apparent to all who, like myself, call themselves his disciples. Gabriel Sarazin, Paris, France Leaves of Grass, indeed, is outside of being purely poetic work, at least in the sense of the older literatures. It is useless to seek here the refinement and impeccable virtue of Tennyson. Walt Whitman is not an artist. He is above art. Not only do the words of his verse fail of being the most choice, but he laughs at proportion and composition. By cultivated critics, he is charged with affecting the rude, involved, encumbered. The religious and barbaric lyricism which Anglo-Saxon poetry possesses in common with the Bible is in leaves of grass, interspersed with a multitude of prosaic images, infinity of details, and minute enumerations of all points of view. Our Latin, Italian, Spanish, French, genius soberly prunes down extravaganzas and knows nothing ordinarily of such lawless modes of portrayal. It takes them for chaos, and there commits the gravest of errors. Without wishing to defend exuberance or oppose good taste, it will be permitted me to say that this last should only dominate writings which aim at pure art, where form is so paramount in importance as to relegate substance to the background. 
Where larger works are in question, however, works wherein all exterior appearances and human masses precipitate themselves, where at the same time battalions of sensations, sentiments, and ideas enter the breach, where science and morality and aesthetics are fused, where such creations are concerned, the horizon widens strangely. Then comes no other rules save those of nobility and strength of spirit, and these suffice amply to create a most unlooked-for and grandiose aspect of beauty. The reader may encounter what is difficult and distasteful, but it will not alter the fact that, if the author has sprinkled through his work a throng of touches at first sight prosaic, yet in reality these very touches contribute to the poetry of the ensemble. Although they be miracles of chiseling, models fashioned of cinder and mud will always remain cinder and mud. But overcrowded and disorderly as it may be, if heroic emotion and thought and enthusiasm vitalize it, a work will always be of perfect beauty. End of section six. End of Camden's Compliment to Walt Whitman by Various.